Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. So last week, we began the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. And basically, what we got to was Jesus just saying, you know, that's it. That's my sermon. Now, what are you going to do with it? All right, so Jesus is going to say, it's not good enough to read it. It's not good enough just to say, I enjoyed it. It's not good enough just to say amen to some of the truths that Jesus has said. Jesus is going to say, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with what I have just said? What's the point in hearing a sermon? What's the point in in reading the Sermon on the Mount if you're not going to do anything with it? I would say this as well. What's the point in reading the Bible if at the end of the day, after you read it, you're going to close it and then not do anything that God has said to do? So Jesus, as soon as he concludes this sermon, he immediately jumps into the necessity for you and I to do something with what he just said. And if you are here last week, um, you'll remember Jesus said some exceedingly difficult things. And I want to just kind of go over them briefly before we get into tonight's final message. He began his conclusion by saying, there's two gates. One of the gates is narrow and one of the gates is wide. And everybody's headed towards one of those two gates. And the vast majority are headed for the wide gate. They're on the wide path, and it leads to destruction. And then he goes on to tell us, in addition to that, you're going to find out that uh, there's false prophets. There's people that would keep you off the narrow path. There are people who would have you be content with staying on the broad path. And Jesus says, beware. Look at their doctrine, look at their life. We talked about that last week. And finally, Jesus says what I believe is to be one of the greatest warnings, warnings found in all of the Bible. Here's what he said. Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter heaven. Only those who do my will. That's exceedingly difficult. It was exceedingly difficult to hear, but that's where we finished last week. Tonight, we're going to pick back up. And what Jesus is going to do is he is going to expound upon that warning that he had just given us before. He's going to say a parable because he's going to continue to hammer home the fact that we need to be men and women who when we read and we hear the word of God live in light of what he said and if we do not do that, we are indeed in great danger. So here's what I want to do before we get into this parable. Let me read the verse where the warning was last week. And and I've already said it, but I just want to say it again, and I want to make sure we see. This is the warning that this parable is illustrating. Jesus says to his disciples on that mount, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's the warning. Now Jesus is going to illustrate it with a parable. He's going to begin by talking about two builders. And that's the first thing I want us to look at. Two builders. I'm going to read verses 24 through 27. That's the the main body of this parable, and then we're going to unpack it together. 
Here's how Jesus continues after giving that tremendous warning from last week. Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like and mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. That's the parable. That's what Jesus would have us understand. Now when I read this a lot of things are going through my Mind, but basically we got two builders, right? There's two builders here. Jesus said one of those builders is wise, one of those builders is foolish. He's a fool. Fair enough. And I read that, and I think this to myself. I think, you know what? If I have the option but be, be, being a, a wise man or a foolish man, if those are the two options, I'm going to choose to be the wise man. No, no one sits there and says, hey, who wants to be a fool? And you raise your hand. No, we, we want to be the wise man. All right, so you got these two men. They build a house. And the house in this parable is going to represent our lives, the lives that we build. And then you got a storm. The storm represents the storms of life that are going to hit each and every one of us. All right, so that's the setup. That's kind of the premise of this parable. You got a wise man, you got a fool. They both build houses. That's their life. They get hit by a storm. That's the setup. All right. Now, here's what I want us to notice, and here's what we're going to pay attention to specifically tonight. You're going to notice that between the wise man and the fool, there's some similarities, and there's some differences. And I think we would be wise to pay attention to both the similarities and the the differences. So let's begin by just looking at the similarities. All right? So let's look at the builder's similarities. Let's look at this. I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting that a wise man and a fool have some similarities. You look at them, and there's some similar things. You take a casual glance at these two people, and you're going to say, they've got some similarities. First thing I want you to notice that they both have, both have in common is from the text, it appears, both have heard. Both have heard the gospel. We know this because Jesus says everyone Then who hears these words of mine? So both the wise man and the fool have heard the word of God. They know the gospel. This parable is not addressing those who have never heard. Remember, they've both called on Jesus, Lord, Lord. They are not ignorant of who Jesus is. They are not ignorant of what Jesus claims. So they got that in common. They, They both heard. Second thing both these guys have in common... They both build a house. They both build their life up after hearing the word of God. All right? So they heard the the gospel. They called out, Lord, Lord. That means both of these guys would claim to be Christians. They both claim to be Christians. But Jesus only says that one of them is wise. All right? The one who heard and does. Meaning that one of these guys have heard the gospel, 
And he's living his life in light of what Jesus says. The implication is the foolish builder is building his life. He's heard the gospel, but he's not doing anything about it. So they got that in common, right? They both heard. I guess they both claimed, Lord, Lord. They both build their lives. That's, that's in common. They got that in common. Third thing I think they both have in common is they have similar circumstances. It appears that both of these houses are built in the general location because they both get hit with the exact same storm. In other words, both of these builders are going through the same experiences. They're essentially the same. One of these men has no advantage over the other man. Final thing I would say that they have in common as you're looking at them, they both built similar houses. The implication is they have very similar houses. It's the foundation that's differently. Outwardly, they're going to appear to be very similar. Like one of these is not a fortified bomb shelter, and one of these is a house of straw. From all appearances, from the outside, these guys look very similar. They're living their lives in the similar ways. Their life and their house are both similar in Appearances in a casual glance, if you were to look at them, these guys are side by side. They're going to look similar. It could be. Maybe both these guys attend the same church. Could be both these guys are hearing the same sermons. Maybe they're friends. Their kids are friends. Both of them could be moral men. Both of them could take their summer vacations down in Florida. All right? They could be doing all the same things. They seem to be similar, both calling on Jesus, Lord, Lord. But there's a big difference. When they pass away, when they stand before Jesus, one of them, Jesus is going to say, depart from me, I never knew you, you worker of wickedness. The other one, he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. So you're like, what's going on here? How could these two men who appear to to do very similar things, have nothing in common after they pass away. The key to understanding this is not their similarities. It's their difference, differences. It's not the similarities that make the difference. It's the differences that make the difference. I'm giving you an example I was thinking about this. I've been blessed in my life, uh, my wife and I both, to travel a lot, and we've gone to a lot of places in a lot of developing countries, and, um, and I'm sure many of you have as well. And, um, or, and every city you go to in a developing country, there's going to be a market. And usually my wife and I like going to the market, actually my wife more so than I, but either way, we find ourselves there. And it doesn't matter where I've been doesn't matter, at some point you're going to walk by some store or someone's going to walk up to you with a knockoff brand of something. You can't stop them. Like, like, do you know how many times I've been offered a $10 Rolex, right? All the, you don't, it doesn't matter. I got a Rolex for you. It's $10. Cool. You look at it. Now, at a casual glance, you're going to see well, I've never had a Rolex, by the way. I'm just guessing. But I'm like, it's very similar to a Rolex. You put them side by side, and it's very similar. But you can do this, man. You say, hey, hey, listen, 
Let me ask you a question. If I buy your watch for $10 and I take a shower with it, what's going to happen? They're going to say, it's going to stop working. Well, that's a big difference. So it's not the similarities that are that important. It's the differences. It's the differences that matter. And it's the differences that we need to pay attention to here. So let's look at this. The builder's differences. The differences. The difference of these two builders is not necessarily evident from a casual glance, just like a fake Rolex. Casual glance. Listen, I know, I know. Listen, if anyone offers you a Rolex for $10, you know it's fake. I get it, right? But nonetheless, they're fun to look at, okay? So if I come up here with a Rolex one day, well, you'll know it's fake. But let's look here. There's some very important differences here. First differences, difference between these two builders is this. They respond differently. They respond differently. Jesus says the wise man, the wise builder, hears these words of mine and he does them. He puts them into action. Now these, these things he puts into action are not part of his salvation. Jesus did it all, but when you are saved and indwelled by God the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit's work out and you will desire to be obedient to God. Notice this. Jesus does not say the wise builder is the one who hears my words and understands them. Because the fool also heard. So it's not just hearing. Jesus does not even say it's the one who believes them. But I tell you right now, the fool probably believes them as well. The difference is one of them does something. Jesus says the wise one is the one who hears and does them. That is where the fool taps out. That's where the foolish person says, I will not do that. That means all sorts of things. That means you can know the word of God, hear the word of God, and still not be a Christian. It means you can admire the word of God. You can quote the word of God. You can put bumper stickers on your car with the word of God on them does not necessarily mean that you've called upon Jesus Christ to be your Lord. Jesus is saying, the wise man hears them and does them. And I thought at this point that it'd be cool to give some examples of where I see this working out today in our culture and, and around, he, around here. And um, quite, quite frankly, that list could be very long, and I could ask you guys to give some examples, and I know you could, but I just want to share a few examples where I see this working out. It's to the man who says, I love Jesus and I'm a Christian. And he knows Jesus desires for him to be pure and not lust, but instead of obeying God, he does not even try. He does not even attempt to have a pure lifestyle. Jesus just called that man a fool. He's a fool. To the person who would say, I love Jesus, and they know that Jesus has commanded us to be generous, to be generous with our time, to be generous with our talents and our money. But instead of doing that, we were, we're selfish. I want my time. I want my gifts. I want my money. Jesus says the person who does that is foolish. You're just foolish. 
And to the man or woman who would say, I love Jesus, but instead of seeking to build the kingdom of God, they do everything in their power to build their own kingdom. Jesus calls them fools. We only have a limited time of life. And Jesus is saying to pursue things other than his glory among the nations, to exalt his name, to obey him, that is a foolish waste of the precious time that he has given you. I want to read something to you real quick that helps out here, I think. John says something really similar. And by the way, you, people say that if, if someone says this, like, this is harsh, so I'm not going to comment on it. I'm just going to let, let John tell us. 1 John 2, 3 through 5, here's what John says to us. Guys, we've got to sit under this. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked. It could not be more clear. And you can read this, I'm telling you. By the way, I haven't seen this pop up on my Facebook feed. Nobody out quoting this. Why? Because it's harsh. It's harsh. It's offensive. It is really... I would be willing to bet if anyone posted this in any capacity on any social media, they might receive some trollers coming around saying things, right? Saving faith, that is faith that save you, saves you, is followed wholeheartedly by obedience to the authority of the Word of God. Now, I'm not saying we do it perfectly, because we do not. The obedience of a Christian is not faultless, but it's real and it's actual. The genuine desire to submit to and obey the teachings of God is our greatest delight. And we grieve, and we grieve when we fall short. So we see that. These two guys respond differently. Makes all the difference in the world. Second thing they do is they build different foundations. The wise man who built his rock on, built his house on the rock. That means he built it on Jesus and the rule of Jesus, whereas the foolish man built his house on the sand. In just a moment, we're going to unpack what it means to um, build on sand. But I want to share something with you that the Lord taught me a while back that helps me understand this better. And um, it's something that um, I think really shook me and... Um, Nonetheless, I felt like I should share this tonight. Um, if you're visiting with us tonight, you may not know this, but my wife and I were blessed to serve in a Muslim context in Africa for nine years. And um, there was a year or two, maybe my wife might say more than this, but um, I, I like history and I like reading. I didn't have kids, so I actually read more than I read now, and I read quite a bit now. But um, there was a time when I got really interested in Egyptology. 
And so I studied. I read everything I could. I read everything I could on Egyptology. I studied it, worked out the kingdoms and the timelines, and then I did this. I took the biblical timeline, and I tried to interpose them upon one another. There was a brilliant book by a guy named Kenneth Kitchen out of England called The Reliability of the Old Testament. Beautiful stuff, and I loved it. So I did that for a while, and I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Not long after that, my wife and I had the opportunity to go to Egypt. So we took it. We took the, the, the trip to Egypt. Now, here's what I was thinking. And I'm going to just share, you, share my thought process with you. This is what I... Man, have you ever had an ideal and just thought you were the smartest person ever, only to later find out you're really not that smart? I've been there many times. But here's the deal. Here's what I thought to myself. I thought, here's what I want to do. We're going to be traveling to Egypt. And what I would like to do is to get in some conversations with some Egyptian Muslims... And this is what I thought. I thought, what I'm going to do is I want to begin a conversation on the history of Egypt. And then as I'm building the history of Egypt, I'm going to bring in the history of the Bible. I'm going to overlap them. We're going to talk about Moses. We're going to talk about the Pharaoh of the Exodus. We're going to talk about all those things. And then we're going to lead it up. I was going to lead it up to Jesus and the historicity of Jesus. And then I thought it would be lead into the gospel. And quite honestly, I thought, man, we're about to see some people come to faith. I thought, man, I'm going to do this, write a book, and it's all going to be over, right? Anyway, you know how that works out. Okay, hey, my pursuit was genuine, though. It was genuine, if not flawed. So um, we get on the plane, we fly to Cairo, go to the Cairo Museum, staggering, staggering place, see the pyramids, staggering stuff. But then we had this really cool opportunity. We had the opportunity to fly down to Upper Egypt, which is actually the southern part of Egypt near the, the border of the Sudan. And from there, we were going to take a boat for three days up the Nile. And as we're going up the Nile, we were going to see different archaeological sites. All right? And we did that. It was tremendous. But here's the thing. At nighttime, you're on the Nile. You're doing all these things. And there's a lot of downtime. It seems... Let me tell you something. It seems really fun. What it really amounted to was a lot of sitting on a boat going down a river. So there's a lot of downtime. And so I'm... Have you been there too? You, you're planning a vacation. This is going to be awesome. After a 20-hour drive, you're like, this isn't so awesome. But... Either way, so I'm sitting there, we got this downtime, and I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, this is the perfect time for me to spring my new evangelistic track upon these Muslim men, and, and it's, they're going to be just flattened. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to prove to them that Jesus was real. And so um, one evening, we're sitting there on the Nile, and I, I find my first victim. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure he was happy about that. And um, I sit down with him, had a brilliant conversation. I started with the... Um, the, the early kingdom, the middle kingdom, or the late early. And we go through that, and uh, we go into the Pharaoh of the Exodus. We go through Moses. We go through the historicity of Jesus. I share the gospel with him. I'm, come on, guys. I'm, like, thinking, man, I could, man, I wish someone was recording it. That's what I'm thinking. I mean, this was before smartphones, but I'm, this, is, I love, this is great. This is working. This guy has no chance, okay? I get through. And I said something like this. I don't remember the whole conversation. I was like, what do you think about that? Do you believe in Jesus? Here's where the Lord taught me something. And he teaches me all the time, but this was staggering to me. You may all know this. It did not occur to me, even though I lived in a Muslim context. I said, do you believe in Jesus? And this guy, and this guy, I remember it. He looks around, and he takes his hand, and he like looks over here, and he looks over here, and he smiles, 
And he says, we all believe in Jesus. We believe in Moses. In fact, that sand right there is the very sand that Moses walked on. We believe in the parting of the Red Sea. We believe in all of this stuff. Not only that, get this. Not only that, he shows more respect for the name of Jesus than many people who claim to be Christians. Because he would sit there and he would tell me, I hear people say they're Christians, but they will take Jesus' name in vain. He didn't say this, but I knew this. If you said something poorly about Jesus in the right context in certain Muslim locations, it would not go well for you. Not only this, man, in seminary, I sat there, read books, and heard professors who would say they were Christians, and they preached, and they taught that there's parts of the Old Testament that were not historical. And this man told me, we know that it's all real. We know that it's historical. We know all of this. And it just blew my mind. And so I asked him, I'm like, well, what's the difference here? He says, and he leans in, and he tells me, he goes this. I believe Jesus was a prophet just like Moses, but I do not believe he was God in the flesh. Ah. That makes all the difference in the world. So I'd been sitting there trying to convince him that Jesus was real. He knew Jesus was real. He just not believe, he just not believed Jesus with God. He did not believe Jesus died on the cross in his place for his sins. He did not believe that. Furthermore, he was very offended not at me, but in general, of all of these American Christians going around saying that Jesus may not have been real, well, he was real, or his claims not be real, or the Old Testament not real, or the Red Sea didn't part, and then sit there and casually talk disrespectfully about Jesus, and they're sitting there and they're saying there's Christians. Doesn't make no sense. And here's the deal. Here's the deal I found. There are a lot of men and women, I believe, in the United States, in the Christian world today, who will say they are Christians, but pragmatically they're atheists. They are. They act if if there's no God at all. They act like God did not speak in the Bible. They act as though Jesus did not give commandments. They act as though they do not need to follow them. They act as though there is a God that cannot be offended. They act act as though there's a God who's not offended by sin at all. The difference, the difference... What do you do with the truth? What do you do with the facts? What do you do with the scripture? What do you do with what Jesus claimed to say about himself? He said he was God in the flesh. He came to save that which was lost. He died on the cross in my place for my sin. Then the greatest evidence that you have been saved is there will be a deep desire in you to walk in light of what he says. makes all the difference in the world. Church, it is the difference that matters. It is the difference that matters. Do not get off course and be um, disillusioned by the similarities. I tell you right now, and you would too, you have met many men and women who are very similar to Christians, but the difference makes all the difference. Two builders. Let's keep moving, church. Jesus keeps hammering. There's two outcomes, verse 27. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And you guys can circle that word, great. It's emphatic, and it's saying it was absolute wreck. 
I discovered this last week. I love him. Charles Spurgeon said this, whether your religion be true or false, it will be tried. And we see here both the wise man and the fool, they were tried. And the only difference about the storm in regard to the wise man and the foolish man is the way that it affected their house, their life. Same storm, different results. The house of the wise man, the storms came as they come to all of us. His house may have been shaken, but it did not fall. The fate of the, wise, the, the foolish man was quite different. His house was on a different foundation. Same storm came, and he was left with absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Great was the fall. It's not that his house was inferior. It's that it was not good at all. At all. It's not as though his way to God was another way. It was that his way to God was no way at all. Complete failure. Utter destruction. Nothing left at all. So let's get back to this question. This is what I think about. Okay. What exactly was his house built on? The text says it was built on sand. But my question, okay, that's cool. That's cool. I get his house was built on sand. But what exactly does sand look like? And what I mean by this, what exactly do people build their house on other than the rock of Jesus and his authority? And they believe the sand will hold them, but it does not. There's many things. There's four specific that I see all the time, and I want to share these with you rapidly. These are four things. All four of these things are sinking sand. Do not build your life on these things. Do not build your life on these things. First one. By the way, many people do. Trusting in religious performance. Sinking sand, man. Sinking sand. I know people, perhaps you do too, who think like this. I may not obey everything God tells me to do. I may not obey all his precepts. I may not even desire to do so, but you know what? I'm going to make up for it because I'm a member of a church. I read my Bible occasionally and I pray. And if I do the right things at the right time in front of the right people, if I say the right things in front of the right people at the right time, I will have everlasting life in the eternal kingdom. That's sinking sand, man. Jesus says no. Hey, listen, you, man, you're not going to stand before Jesus, and we all will, and you're not going to stand before Jesus, and Jesus say, why did you not obey me? And you're not going to say something like, well, you know, I know I didn't always obey you or even attempt to obey you, but I was a member. I'll check it out. I was a member of Silverdale Baptist Church. Not going to get you very far. Not. Membership in a church does not get you anything. Now, to say this correctly, Christians do read their Bible. Christians do join churches. Christians do these things, right? But if you just do those things, it doesn't mean you're a Christian. Sinking sand, man. Second, I don't even know if this makes sense, but it's the best I can say. Trusting and happy feelings. <laughs> I don't know. 
I think that word happy is kind of goofy, but I like the sound of it, so it's there. I always find it interesting, I don't know, I don't want to get on a tangent here, but I always find it interesting when I was growing up and I would read outlines, I'm like, who makes this stuff up? Well, evidently the pastor does, because (laughs) that's what happens, man. Um, Hopefully through a lot of study. But anyway, that's the thing. I have seen people, and I know people, who will trust in their feelings over the word of God. And it works out in so many different ways. They'll say stuff like, well, it feels good, and I enjoy it. What could be so bad? As though their feelings are the determining factor of eternity. And I've seen Christians do this as well. People say stuff like this. Um, I'm not obeying Christ today. I'm not. I don't even want to. But you know what? In eighth grade, I went to summer camp and had a tremendous experience. And they're basing their life upon a tremendous experience they had in the eighth grade. And I would say, sinking sand. That is sinking sand. Guys, I've told you this story before. I'm not going to go into great detail, but I got a buddy. I got, I got a buddy, man. I got a buddy. I got a buddy. If I was to have him come here today, he would tell you this. He would tell you this. The greatest feeling he's ever had in his life, spiritually, was when he got in his underwear, went to the desert southwest, got in a tent, lit a fire, smoked something. He saw God, man, or whatever. I don't know. He's basing eternity over an experience in his underwear, fire, smoking in the middle of nowhere. That's definitely seeking sand. I've got a general rule of thumb. If the height of my religious experience involves me in a tent in my underwear, it's probably not a solid rock. But yet we do stuff like that all the time. Third thing, trusting in knowledge. Now I want to say this carefully. Knowledge is a good thing. It's a very good thing. But you cannot build your life just on knowledge. we got many people in this area, this cultural Christian area, who've grown up in church, and uh, they've been to a lot of vacation Bible schools, and they know all this stuff. Man, I know, man, I know guys who know a tremendous amount of Bible knowledge, but they fail to live in light of what Christ has said. And Jesus says, that is sinking sand. Final thing that I would say is a big one. This is sinking sand, church. Trusting in morality. Many people, not many, as many, many, I don't know, you know this to be true. Many people will say something like this. They'll say, I know I don't obey Jesus. I don't even want to obey Jesus. But you know what? I'm not bad. I'm a moral person. My response is, no, you are not. No, you're not. People say that's harsh. Here's what I would say. At best, you can be moral according to the standards of the culture that you're currently living in, right? We all know the the moral standard of where we live in this generation. Now, it could be true that by the moral standard of our generation, the culture we currently live in, it could be true, if that's the bar, well, you're not that low or below it. But the reality is that bar is a really, really low bar. Like, God doesn't say, hey, all you guys in this area, get together, take a vote, decide what's right, decide what's wrong, and whatever you guys decide, well, that's the bar I'm going to hold you to. 
Not at all. Jesus says that's sinking sand. And by the way, I would say this. You mistake. We make a great... The person, the person who says that I am a moral, I'm a good person, first of all, errors because they're not. Second of all, they err because being a moral person isn't even the goal of being a Christian. It's not even the goal. I'm a good person. No, you're not. And by the way, that's not the goal. The goal of Christianity is not to do more good things and do less bad things as though there's some sort of divine scale up there in heaven. I got to say this as clear as I can. Jesus did not die on the cross so that you could be a moral person according to the standards of whatever generation he so chose to put you in. His standards are infinitely higher. They're perfect. He died on the cross in my place for my sin, not that I would be moral, but so that I would be a new creation. Not gonna, it's not a turning of the leaf. It's not modifying our behavior. It's a new creation. All right. That leads to verses 28 through 29, and we see two responses. Let me read this. And when Jesus finished saying, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowd, crowds, were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Okay, I want you guys to notice something here. I'm going to bring this back in. I don't know if you were here the very first week, but the very first week, the sermon started this way. I want to read this to you. Matthew 5.1. It says, Seeing the crowds, he, that's Jesus, went up the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So that's the setup, okay? you got this big crowd. That's those who are on the broad road. That's those who do not know Jesus, trust in Jesus, love Jesus. And then you got his disciples. He calls them up. He preaches to them. The crowd would have been around. They would have heard. But I want you to not see something that I think is really interesting here. The text does not say that everybody was astonished. It doesn't say that. You can tie that into verse five, chapter 5, verse 1. It says specifically, the crowds were astonished. doesn't include the disciples. I'm quite sure the disciples were amazed, but this word astonished in the Greek is not applied to the disciples. In the Greek, this word astonished means to be struck out at oneself. It means to be astounded. It means to be dumbfounded. The crowd was absolutely dumbfounded by what Jesus had just said. Now, the disciples, they'd been with Jesus for a while. They weren't dumbfounded. They were in awe, to be sure. They were amazed, and they worshiped Jesus. But the crowd, the crowd, they never heard this. Never heard this at all. Now, this crowd has to make a decision. See, it's not, it's not enough, once again, to be dumbfounded at the teachings of Jesus. It's not enough to be impressed with Jesus. You must respond. Now, certainly, some of those in this crowd responded positively for Jesus. It doesn't say, but, but I believe most of these people watched. I believe they listened. I believe they considered and I believe they walked away. For whatever reason, the majority of this crowd, although they were dumbfounded, although they could see that this man was teaching with the authority of God like no one they'd ever heard, they decide 
I'm going to stay on the broad road. I'm going to go down the broad gate. Evidently. We'll end this way. Good deeds will not save you. Got a list here. Zeal and emotion does not save you. We read last week, performing performing miracles will not save you. Casting out demons will not save you. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And the clearest indication that you have been saved is that there's going to be the indwelling spirit in you and it's going to work out with a deep desire to live in light of what he's taught. It's easy to fool the pastor. It's easy to fool your friends. You can even fool yourself. All you got to do, here's all you got to do if you want to fool people. Learn a few vocabulary words. Adapt to some of the cultural norms. But Jesus says he desires for none of us to be under that delusion. Church, do you love Jesus or do you love vocabulary words? Do you have a relationship with Jesus or are you counting on your traditions? Do you spend your time and energy trying to do more good than bad? Or do you spend your time and energy obeying Jesus? Do you read the Bible to know more about Jesus? Do you pray because you want to talk to Jesus? Do you tell your friends about Jesus because they need to know him too? Do you go to church to worship Jesus? Do you live in light of what Jesus has said? Do you love Jesus? At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we want to be a church that hears, that obeys, that submits, and tells as many as we can about the greatest thing we know, and that is Jesus. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the Connect Card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please, stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.